Religion loves Jesus the teacher, is even okay with Jesus the prophet. Religion is not okay with Jesus the breaker of bondage, the transformer of hearts, the savior of nations. Because the real Jesus is the anointed one. He doesn't just have good teachings. He is the, the breaker of bondage. He will transform you. But you got to go after knowing him more. He's worth it. He's worth, he's worth your time. He's worth your life. And there's, there's nothing, this, this city, this nation, the nations of the world are not going to be transformed by a satisfied people. They're going to be transformed by lovesick warriors. Because if he's for us, who can be against us? If the king of the universe and all of his goodness, all of his backing, if all of heaven is for you, is standing behind you, supporting you, how, how could anything succeed against you? How could you fail? We could, we could change the world. That's not just a fun phrase. If you'll give your life to this thing, to the real thing, if you'll find the real Jesus, the one who burns with eyes of fire, if you'll get a real hunger in your belly, there is nothing that can stop you. It costs much, but it's worth the cost. It costs everything. This is the Fire Podcast. Hey, I'm back here with Peter DeWitt. Thanks for being on again. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, we're continuing our series conversations on uh, rediscovering discipleship today. Um, This is part three. So if you're listening to this and you haven't heard part one or two, I'd suggest jumping back to those um, and probably starting there. Uh, the, The heart behind this is we we've been having conversations. Uh, we had started having conversations and just realized um, we should probably re- record them one. Cause it'll help us remember. Mm-hmm. So these are probably primarily yep. for us uh, to be able to go back and hear what we were saying. But two, um, we just believe that other people could get a lot of these conversations and probably, um, and maybe it'll stir some new things, new thoughts in you guys, as you, as you think about discipleship, not, not just what you've seen it be, but actually start to, uh, seek God's heart. And that's kind of what we're after here is what is God's heart on discipleship? When Jesus said, go and make disciples, um, what what did he mean by that? And we've kind of, we've, we've covered a lot of that, that we're, um, we're staying grounded in the fact that we're trying to make disciples of Jesus, not us or the church mm-hmm. um, or our yeah. church culture. We, it's disciples of Jesus, that there's a mandate on every believer to operate as a king, a priest and a prophet. And they're uh, sphere of influence or their metron, their uh, wherever God has placed them. That's that's actually the call of a disciple, and you can tell the the maturity of a disciple based on if they're walking in those three things. Um, and uh, and then this last time we got a little bit into the the sanctification process and in part two. Um, and Peter, you, you primarily led that, but um, and what sanctification because it is a process. Um, what sanctification looks like in our spirit, soul, and body, and especially our soul, our mind, will, and emotions. And so mm-hmm. that one was was really powerful. Um, did I miss yeah. anything? No, I think that's a great, you did a great job summarizing it. And like you said, I'm, I'm excited. You know, I know your heart in, in a lot of these podcasts is to be able to kind of let people into the green room conversations that were happening, you know, uh, amongst different ministry leaders uh, prior to someone going on stage or speaking or something like that. And you know, both you and I have spent so much time both living and leading and uh, thinking about and talking about and studying what discipleship looks like. I'm excited that we're getting to one hash it out for our benefit, but also hopefully this really 
give some language and traction for different people that want to dive deeper into discipleship, either as a disciple or also as someone who, who does disciple. And I remember a few years ago, uh, probably eight or nine years ago now, one of my earlier messages that I felt really God had given me was this idea of producers and consumers and, you know, and realizing um, that, that oftentimes that we can have either a consumer's mindset primarily, or we could have a producer's mindset. And I started to see that there was, that, that was all like a fault line almost in the, in the, in the church, if I could use that phrase, that, that somehow there had been a culture that had been created in some environments and with some people where there's sort of basically only a consumer's mindset or primarily a consumer's mindset mm -hmm. where like you're saying, Ryan, that, that each believer, you know, the priesthood of all believer, the kingship of every believer, um, you know, the ability to speak God's word into it by, you know, the prophet status, not, not fivefold prophet, but the prophetic call for every believer to speak God's word into existence. And so I'd love to hear, you know, some of what you're seeing, about this producers, consumers, um, you know, how that relates to what God's doing in this season. Because I, I think that this discipleship message is part of that overall uh, kingdom advancement uh, strategy that God's releasing mm -hmm. in this season. Yeah. And, and I think uh, you had a, I don't know if it was in prayer time or something, but you, you got kind of the three pieces of a producer and of a consumer. And I actually wrote this down when you shared this, uh, this is December 22nd. Um, yeah, I remember last, last year we talked and you had producer as uh, three parts. It starts in research, then design mm -hmm. and then building. So if you're if you're producing anything, those are the three steps. You first research, then you begin to design and then you begin to build mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. consumer. You had as experience, adventure and then achievement, um, which I, I often tag on application. Um, mm. so you experience something as a consumer, um, you experience it and then you begin to adventure with it. You begin to like add it to your life and, and, and try it and see, you know, see the results. And then it becomes, you get to the place where it's actually, uh, you achieve it or it's a, an, in application in your life fully. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and so I think, I, I think there's a lot to this. When you shared this, it, it like, it gave such a practical framework for me for how to disciple. And I think everyone can, and, and disciple in the, in the sense of um, how do we create environments? So from the producer model, how do we create environments that people can experience God and, and be changed and be transformed? Mm -hmm. Transformation is obviously the, the ultimate. We want to see people transformed and, and, conform to the image of, of Christ. Um, Dallas Willard, I found this quote uh, beforehand, a, a mature disciple is one who effortlessly does what Jesus would do if Jesus were him. So in any moment, uh, a mature disciple, if, when something happens, it, it, it's what we shared in the last one. I think Dan Muller said, if you squeeze an orange, you get out orange juice. If you squeeze a Christian, mm -hmm. you should get Christ. And so the, the, the uh, sign of maturity is that. So how do we how do we create the environments that people can can experience that? And um, you were saying how how what was your question? How is this uh, playing out now or, or going to play out? Yeah, I think that well, I, you're you're answering it, it, and by talking about the different elements of cons of being a consumer and a producer, and I think that you 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 and I were talking beforehand, and I think you made a great point, which is that all believers 
need to be both consuming and producing. In fact, you mm-hmm. could say that you can't produce without consuming, you know, and, and so it's not either or. I, but I think that Paul speaks to this in Hebrews 5, where it says you all ought to be teachers by now, but instead you're still children, only able to handle milk, right? And so mm-hmm. we want to have our senses trained to discern good and evil, which I think is related yeah. to what you're talking about. You know, that, that when, when we're in a situation that we're acting like Jesus would act in that situation effortlessly, that's someone who's, who's mature in the Lord in that, in that area or in that situation, and I think that that one of the things that, you know, to, to play out the whole consumer producer thing. So producers are ones that say, hey, I have some measure of achievement. So in other words, I, I've gone through this process of the growing part of that, and I've got some mastery of that. I don't mean achievement in terms of having a ribbon. We're not talking about that in discipleship, but there's 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 a there's a confidence, there's a mastery of it. There's there's an ability, there's a competence, you know, in in that area. Let's say that someone has been discipled by the Lord in the area of marriage. We all know that the first few years of marriage can be really tough, even if you're both believers and equally yoked and seeking God together, like dying to yourself and figuring out idiosyncrasies and, you know, learning to love and learning to surrender some things that how you like to do them before, but now you need to prefer your spouse and I don't even know how to do that at that level with someone else. And, you know, like there's a lot that goes into those first few years of marriage. But when people are married six, seven, eight, nine, ten years in the Lord, they got a couple kids, the marriage is stable, the house is stable, careers are going well, their walk with God is strong. They've got some measure of achievement. They've got some measure of, app- they've applied discipleship into this area of their life. And now what they can do is either just kind of rest on that, or of course they could move into a place of being a producer where they start to think about research, how could I be a benefit and share what God's given to me with this newly married couple, right? And then they could start to also ask them some questions and they get to know them and befriend them. And they realize, oh, I can so remember some of that stuff. Like, I know they're not the same as us, but they're not that different, right? And then they start to think, you know, I'm really thinking, honey, that if we could just meet with them once a month for pizza, it could really benefit. They could see how we parent. They could see, you know, how we do dishes at night as a family. They could see how we pray. You know, we could kind of check in and see how they're doing. You know, so, and so what would it look like to design that sort of time? You know, okay, let's build it into our schedule. Let's, let's you know, see how this goes. So now what has happened, that married couple that's been married for 10 years has had some achievement in terms of learning to walk out what it means to be a godly couple. And then they can start to research and design and build opportunities to sow some of those experiences and breakthroughs into the lives of this other married couple. So I think, Ryan, you're, you're, you're capturing, I think, this idea of, of we want to not only be consumers, but we also want to be producers in the body of Christ. And as we have yeah. some mastery, now we're not just babies like Hebrews 5 is talking about, but we actually start to get to come into the place where we, we've got some uh, milk to give. Uh, those that are newer in something in the Lord. So I know that this is really, you know, it's really in your heart um, to to do this sort of equipping. And um, yeah, I, w- I would just love to hear, you know, I think in particular, you've had some neat experiences in how you were brought up in the Lord and some people that were discipling you and mentoring you that were able to allow you to take risks in faith and were able to allow you to, not just have discipleship in the form of head knowledge, because I think that there's something about understanding discipleship, even the consumer side of it, as the experiences and an adventure to get to go on. 
And I think that you had some unique, unique experiences in that regard and, and have a vision for that, for discipleship as well. And I'd love to hear, what does that look like to, to invite people into a discipleship experience, a discipleship adventure, and not just in a discipleship set of content? Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a really big question too. Um, there's a lot, a lot of places we could take that, but from my experience, um, you're right. I've, I've had, and, and I could go through almost every season of my life. There was somebody God had placed specifically as Come well on. as being in a body, as well as things that God himself was working out in me, um, that where there were places for experience. So healing was a big one for me. Um, uh, you know, I got to, uh, I could take it into my into my story. Basically, I, I went and uh, I actually I'll do prophecy. So prophecy, I end up at this nuns convent in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, because my friend Jasmine Tate invites me. That's where I bre- meet Brad McCoy. I meet all these random people. I meet um, who, the man who had become my spiritual grandfather, Jim Herb, and they prophesy over me. I get I have this crazy experience with prophecy, and um, where they knew everything about me. I'm weeping. I didn't know I was being filled with the Holy Spirit. No one prayed for it. No mm. one said, this is what's happening. It just, it happened. And uh, and then the next day, I'm back in Columbus. I, I was in Pittsburgh. I'm back in Columbus. I'm in a gas station, walk past a lady, and instantly know all this stuff about her. And so I went mm. from experience to now I'm adventuring with it in my day-to-day Whoa. life. And I have, you know, and then I had to kind of work out all the weird stuff with that. I was like... You know, she was going into her shift at work at the gas station. I chickened out. I left. I I go home. I'm trying to go to bed because it's like six something in the morning. And uh, I basically, I couldn't sleep. I was like, okay, God, I'll write this letter. And I write mm-hmm. this letter to her and fall asleep. And then it's like, I wake up later. It's like 10, 1030 or something. I missed my class. I was supposed to drive to Ohio State and go to a class. Um and I was like, oh, okay, well, God, I'll go and see. And if she's there, I'll give her the letter, like really hoping in my heart she wasn't there. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and I get there and I walk around and she's not there. And I start to walk out and I think she saw me on the cameras or something because she comes out of the back and she's like, hey, can I help you? Like, because obviously I look suspicious. And uh, I shared the, what I, every time anybody's heard me share this, I say it's the line you never use. I said, she said, can I help you? And I said, no, actually, I think I'm here to help you. Um, mm. you know, just super creepy. And um, basically, I give her the letter. She starts immediately uh, opening it and starts crying. And I'm like trying to tell her, and like, no, no, wait till after your shift. And then she starts crying. I'm like, okay, something's happening here. And this letter was extremely detailed. I don't know that God's spoken to me that detail. I don't think he's spoken to me that detailed since that point. But it was like, mm. hey, I'm going to get your attention with this kind of thing. Mm. Um, extremely detailed, exactly what she was going through. She's weeping. And I'm like, can you tell me what's going on? And she says, this is a little bit that people have to track with. Essentially, her name is Mary. Mary has a sister. This, her sister has a daughter, which is Mary's niece. So, uh, the problem is Mary's sister was also a drug addict or was a drug addict. And so was the daughter. Um, Mary stepped in, was more of a mother to the niece than, the sister was the sister was yeah and so um the essentially the niece had just overdosed and died and oh, mary God. says to me she she says it was like two or three other times christians had come up to her sister and done what i just did 
like God has sent Christians or her sister to comfort her, to speak to her, to prophesy over her, pray over her, love her. And she had heard about that and was angry. And she was crying wow. every night. And she's like, God, you don't even see me. And I was more of a mother to her, yet you're sending them to my sister. And then here I am. And I almost didn't do it. And, um, and she just is weeping and she gave her life to Jesus right then. And I remember walking away from this. So this was like, this is the adventuring phase. I'm walking away from this and I go, God, I'll give my life to that. Like, if you'll do that with me, I'll, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. I'll say anything. Wow. And, um, and it was, it was life-changing to me. And that, that started, that kept, I was still in the adventure phase. I hadn't moved into the achievement. Like it wasn't a, yeah. It wasn't a solid part of my life. I wasn't a, you know, I'm st- I still feel like I'm adventuring with it in many ways, but here we are over a decade later and uh, 12, 12 years mm-hmm. later um, and, and I'm still learning it, but it, it mm-hmm. became more and more. I started experimenting with it and I would hear, so yep. I'd feel like I, I sent something or heard something for somebody and I'd share mm-hmm. it. There are a lot of times they're like, who are you? You're weird. Mm-hmm. That's wrong. Yeah. Whatever, you know, but it was this adventure and I, I learned more and more of God's heart. Same thing happened with healing. I tell so many stories about that, where it was like, first I was like, I saw somebody get healed and like, I knew I'd been healed when I was a kid, but I had, I hadn't seen anything outside of like the big man on stage and I saw uh-huh. somebody get healed. And then I was like, okay, I kind of an adventure with this. So I started like stepping out to pray for people, saw some big miracles yep. and then went through a whole season where God's like, basically I was embarrassed constantly. And uh, where I got pray for people and some of them were very public, like in the middle of the student mm-hmm. union with about 30 people watching 20 or 30 people getting laughed yeah. at um, because somebody didn't get healed. Everyone thought I was weird. Like, and God just kept asking me, like, are, are you willing to look like a fool for me? And I had to keep Come saying on. yes until I got to oh a place gosh. once again, not of achievement, but I've, I've like, I, you know, I, the experience adventure achievement or application i've almost uh, experienced is kind of like you experience his goodness adventure is kind of like the day-to-day with it until you move into that place of this is like a kingdom reality in your life it's a and lifestyle so I, yeah exactly yeah. so i don't know that it's like now i don't hear 100 percent on everything i'm not you know 100 percent perfectly accurate i don't everyone i lay hands on doesn't get healed but it is a it is my go-to now. Like it is my go-to yeah. to hear God's voice. It's my go-to if somebody's sick, like I wanna I wanna pray for them. I believe in healing first. Yeah. If I'm sick, I'm like I'm not immediately like, oh, I need to go to the doctor. I'm like, I need to pray. Um so it's become yeah. a kingdom reality. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, I think you know, this we're sharing in process here, and it might be that the words are experience, adventure and lifestyle or something like that. But I, I think that that's what we're talking about is when it, when it becomes integrated um, into, into the lifestyle. You know, one, one question that I've been struggling with is how do we keep, you know, this, this consumer thing is interesting because what we have is these three steps to being the consumer side of discipleship are pretty active steps. Like, in other words, you actually have to experience something Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's an adventuring that has to happen. Like there's a stepping out. And I think this is really key because probably about 10 years ago, I remember I was standing in our front living room and I, I asked God, what was a scary question to me at the time? I don't know why it was scary, but I asked the Lord, I said, um, God, can you teach people too much? Mm. And at the time I, everything in my spirit was saying, yes, you can. My head was saying, I don't even know how to wrap my head around the question that I just asked. 
And probably a few years ago, I realized, yeah, when you teach people past the surrender of their will, you actually, mm-hmm. you actually cause quite a bit of trouble because James is saying that, um, you know, be doers of the word and not hearers only so deceiving yourself. So I've got this, you know, if, if deceiving wow. yourself to me is self-deception, right? Like if we were to just use a noun in the place of deceiving yourself, instead of a verb and a direct object, we just call that self-deception. And so he says, be, hears, be doers of the word and not hearers only so that you don't enter self-deception. And I've got this hypothesis that's forming. And this is, this is you know, this is backroom stuff right now, but people are listening, I know. But um, I've got this wonder. I wonder if self-deception is the nature of religion or one of the elements of the nature of religion. And I'm talking about not religion in terms of like Christianity as a religion, but the religious spirit, right? It's yeah. self-deception. Jesus talked about the scribes and the Pharisees. And he says, woe to you guys. And to the lawyers, woe to you. You don't enter in yourself and you keep those that would be entering from entering, right? And it's this wow. idea. So so think about that in the context of this idea of, of adventuring, right? You experienced it and now you adventure with it. And Bill Johnson, I think somewhat famously talks about like it's illegal to experience something in God and then not to act in faith on it again. That's not quite how he says it, but this thing of like, if he's done it before, but now I don't believe it for the again, like, did you forget who he was? And Jesus did this too. Like, do you guys forget the loaves? Like, Mm -hmm. I know there's a storm, but do you forget the loaves? You know, like I I might be conflating the stories there, but, but he's asking like, don't you forget? Don't like, are you hard of heart? that you don't remember. And so I think that this question I've been having is how do we help create cultures of discipleship where, and I don't have the answer to this. I wonder if Ryan, if you have some thoughts like where the expectation for action, like there's, you know, another thing that the Lord spoke to me recently, a couple of years ago, I guess, is he's saying that, that there's the only difference between a teaching and a training is in the heart of the hearer. You know, like the, the, Mm. when people hear a teaching, but they don't have a will to act on it, then it's just a teaching and it makes our head big. But when you hear the same content, but with the heart to act on it, now it becomes a training that causes you to take steps and actually develop the, the, those muscles and adventure in it. So how do you like, how do we create these environments? Because like what I'm hearing is like, you experienced it, like. You, you got filled with the Holy Ghost. You, you, were, you were experiencing a prophetic culture, but then like you invent, like there was a pivotal moment. Like you actually acted mm-hmm. on it. Like God told you something and then you wrote the letter and, you know, even though you had missed class, you went and gave the letter and, you know, despite, you know, so how do we help create that, env- that environment where like discipleship doesn't just kind of go in one ear, out the other, or get stored in the mind, but actually gets put into the feet. Yeah, that's, that's tough. Um, I think I have a couple of thoughts. Like one of the things you said there, I was thinking about the disciples and um, Jesus didn't over, cause you're talking about over teaching. Like, can you yeah. teach past their will? And I think about Jesus gave them enough let them experience it. Like he was a master at this, you know, at the research design building, he created experiences, um, but also had a demand on them uh, to do something with it. That's a word. That's a word right there. He would, he would create these, these environments for his disciples and for other people he'd encounter. Like I mentioned the woman at the well to you, that was a masterfully uh, 
produced experience for her in a way in, in, meeting him at the well a samaritan and a jew uh, a man after she had been so rejected by men all of that was yeah. the perfect environment for her to get unlocked mm -hmm. and 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 her then to go lead mm. you know and, and become uh arguably the first female apostle uh according to earlier church history um because mm. she got unlocked and so he's he's really great at that he did with the, the disciples and gave them just enough and said okay now go do this you know don't take mm. anything with you leave your peace you know if, if if they bless you if not dust off your shoes um and then you know heal the sick and they do that and until the point that they're like wait it, it worked and then but then they came to this one you know to the the demonized boy and they're like why isn't it working you know and and so there's something about i don't know how you do this on a large scale but you know we're taking our our church right now and and we're so we're small enough that we can do this but like there's got to be the understanding and demand on you're going to do something with this. Um, and I know that's yeah. a question, like, how do we do that? Well, and I think part of it maybe is, um, is limiting how much we teach. And I've heard people say the opposite, you know, we shouldn't have people healing the sick who don't, you know, don't know God in a deep way and all this, like you need to lead them in all that. Mm -hmm. I actually don't agree with that. I think that's the result of not discipling well on the front end. Um, I think mm -hmm. Brad McCoy was masterful with this. Like when, as I was coming into all this stuff, um, I had experienced God and I was seeing healing, but I didn't know God. I didn't know how to worship. And he was really great at walking me through those experiences and those times, uh, you know, cause I, I also wasn't being transformed because I wasn't spending time with God. So I'm like, why can I see all this happen? But, you know, um, mm. I'm, I'm still struggling in these areas. And, you know, then you've got verses like, you know, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we, you know, um, yeah. yeah. You're and, like, uh oh, I, and that, yeah, I'm like, oh, this this shakes me. And so I'm like, I'm seeing that with Jesus and him doing the same thing where he's like, okay, guys, like you're doing all this stuff now. This is awesome. But if you don't, you know, on that day, I, I'm going to say, I don't know you. Like there's, there's mm -hmm. a deeper importance here. And he, I think he was, he was, it was beautiful how he always knew how to do that. So I think we need to mm -hmm. create a demand, um, a healthy demand and a healthy culture of celebration. Yeah. And I, I think the other thing I'll say, this is the other thought I had. There's something to, we, our idea of, of, um, results being, uh, our idea of what fruit is, is, is incorrect. And like, Come on, say more. somebody, yeah, somebody asked me recently, like, what is, um, what is success? They asked me that question and I said, obedience. And, and we've had to learn that because that's hard when you, when you obey God, it does not always look the way that mm -hmm. it, you think it was supposed to. And sometimes things look actually really awful. And what we call mm. fruit oftentimes is the things, the very things that God said, but I didn't know you. And what God mm. calls fruit are very different. It's like, were you formed in this? Was love in this? You know, the fruits of mm. the spirit. What, what was the kingdom, the heart of the kingdom seen in this thing? Even if you, you did, you did something so with good, your right? idea of what success would look like in the end. Uh, what was success? So, you know, for me, like praying for all those people that didn't get healed, the, that wasn't failure. That actually was, it was obedience. It was obedience. Therefore, I, I was Come successful. On. And in that, it became a place that my heart could be formed. So I think we've got to have, we've got to have environments that embrace and uh, embrace failure, quote unquote, embrace those like mm -hmm. times when it didn't work out. Um, mm. But also 
have a teachability that's like, well, maybe it was because of this. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's because you did, yeah. you aren't actually spending time with God and you're trying to live out of a gifting, or maybe it's, you did exactly what you're supposed to just go back to the father and, and go after. Him yes. Home, yes. You know? So I don't know. It's not a great answer. I'm kind of rambling a little bit. No, I don't think it was rambling at all. I, I really, yeah, I, this thing of there being a demand to do. And I think also there's, there's something about that idea that obedience is the success. Um, you know, one thing I've noticed is that people will always, myself included, work towards the scoreboard, whatever the scoreboard is, you know, like, mm -hmm. like you put, you put, you put young boys on a football field, they pretty quickly realize that something's worth six points, one thing's worth one point, and another mm -hmm. thing's worth three points, you know, and, and a two point basket, and a three point basket in basketball, like you figure out what, what, what is the scoreboard. And I think that any sort of scoreboard that is of like a specific type of fruit, like you're saying, is really tough in the body of Christ. So it's the scoreboard salvations. It's like, well, you know, or the scoreboard's deep discipleship. Well, yeah, the scoreboard's accurate prophetic word. Yeah, the scoreboard's healing. It's like, well, all of it comes down to <laughs> obedience. And I think that there's, there's, there's something about what you're saying where the, and interesting, we talked last time about the obedience is the will part. You know, the obedience is a surrendered will looks like obedience to God. And, you know, that is what causes you to move because we talked last time about if you lack obedience, you'll lack action. So I guess in some ways, you know, if we want, if we want the discipleship process to look like people going on the adventure and being sent out, I think that one of the things that I'm hearing is that there needs to be a demand to do and a celebration of obedience you know, and that that might be really actually a, a very powerful takeaway from this conversation is that what does it look like to start to celebrate obedience in our own walk with God? So in other words, something that I could not have been obedient about in the past or struggled to be obedient about in the past. I mean, you you had to muster up every ounce of obedience to get that letter to that lady. But I know you now that while there can still be some uncomfortable times to give a prophetic word. I don't think it would rock you like that, you know, to, to, to get mm -hmm. a letter to someone, even if it was somewhat awkward or whatever, and you'd also know how to do it. So it'd be easier this time or whatever. And the word could be just as accurate. And the same with me. I remember when I was learning to share the gospel with people, you know, it's like, I was so intimidated by it. Whereas now, you know, I know if God tells me to do that, there's a good chance I'm going to listen to him and mm -hmm. have some sense of how to do that. And, and, you know, I've not arrived, but I've definitely have some, some, sense of confidence in that, you know, that I can do that and will do that. So I, I think for each of us, you know, as, as we're listening to this, what does it look like to celebrate being more obedient today than, than we were yesterday in something, you know, something that we would have struggled to be obedient in the past. We're now like Dallas Willard's quote, we're, we're effortlessly doing what, what God, uh, what Jesus would do in that situation. And then I think also from the producer's side, you know, what, what would it look like for that couple that's been married for 10 years? that has kids, that's having the younger couple over, you know, for the husband to celebrate while they're doing dishes, that the younger husband is telling them, Hey, I, I chose to prefer my wife this last mm -hmm. week. You know, I, I, I wanted to go out to a movie with some friends that they've been trying to get to me to go, but I didn't even, I didn't even bring it up with my wife because I knew that she wanted to, to have some time with me that night. And I choose to prefer her so she didn't feel guilty. I knew she would have deferred to me, but I cho chose to prefer her, you know, and to yeah. celebrate that obedience with, with the, with the younger husband. 
So I think that there's, I wonder if that's actually like one of those word of wisdom sort of supernatural tools. What would it look like to celebrate obedience in the discipleship process mm-hmm. for ourselves and others? Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I think I think we should probably pick up there um, in our next conversation because we we could talk about this quite a bit more. I know we're at time now, uh, but yeah, there is something and, there. And it, and sorry, everyone, for the limited length of time. It's my schedule's fault. But I think that there's, you know, and we've talked before, Ryan, about the obedience for the the discipleship making, but also the obedience in the evangelism, you know, and in, in the, the going out into the harvest. So I think it would yeah. be great to pick up there. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that portion because I feel like I, and I feel like we could um, we framed it a little bit today, but I think we can frame it even more a very practical way that everyone can look at their life look at the relationships they have, look at their neighbors, look at their coworkers and and begin to think in this framework of how do I create those experiences that they can come to know God? Um, and, and it yes. takes a lot of the pressure off of us. We're just designing with Holy Spirit environments, whether it's getting coffee or, or, uh, come on. you know, giving them a word or whatever, just being a friend. Um, but we're beginning to create that. And I think, I think we can get into that really well in our next conversation. So. Awesome. Do you have any Amen. final words or anything or are you, you good? No, I'm, ex- I'm excited. I'm excited about this conversation. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this was fun. Um, well, uh, until next time, this has been the fire podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the fire podcast with Ryan Rhodes. Fire movement has a mission to bring people face to face with the real Jesus. If you love this show and ministry, please consider subscribing, leaving a five-star rating, and most importantly, sharing the podcast with others on social media. Also, would you please consider one-time or monthly support to help us sustain and grow this show so that others can be stirred to hunger for more of the real Jesus? You can do so by going to firemovement.com support, Venmo at firemovement, or cash app dollar sign fire movement thank you